You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Have you ever um, purchased a new vehicle? And as you were looking at that new vehicle, and once you purchased it, you drove it off the lot and you said, man, this is kind of a unique car. This is kind of the type of vehicle that, man, nobody else really has these. I don't see these very often around. And then you're driving around, and once you know, you drive a few miles down the road, and you see another one just like yours. And then all of a sudden, you go throughout your week, and everywhere you go, you seem to find the exact same vehicle as yours. Or you see a different colored one, but it's just like yours everywhere you go. Has it ever happened to you before? That's happened to me several times. I feel like with every vehicle I got, oh, yeah, you don't see these around very much. Yeah, they're everywhere. My perspective was just not on the right vehicle. I don't know if you know this, but that's what happens when you study God's word and when you read his word. If you've ever done a deep dive into a certain topic, all of a sudden you're going to realize that as I look more into this topic, I'm going to see it everywhere in my life, number one, but then in my family's life and then in culture around me. I'm going to see it all over the place. And so here's what usually what happens with me whenever I start to study on a certain topics. Number one, that's what happens. I'll get into a topic and I'm like, oh my goodness, this one topic touches every part of the Bible. We're going to be in this series for a whole year because it can go on and on and on. The other thing that happens is the enemy sees what I'm studying and the enemy comes to try to steal my foundation to preach about it. This happens all the time if you talk to pastors. Most of the time when pastors who will do a message on healing or on God's healing power, the very week before sickness will try to come and to overtake them. I have a pastor friend in Detroit, Dusty Otis, who he came and guest spoke a little while back. He was doing a message, leading up to a message on healing. And man, sickness tried to attack him and his family. And it was just great confirmation. The devil will do anything in his power and he plays cheap games. He will do anything in his power to come and to rob your foundation so that you have nothing to stand on and to share with other people. Because if he can take your foundation, then God can get no glory. And that's the issue is he wants to come and to do that. However, he doesn't realize the game that he's playing because as we're studying scripture and we begin to see it everywhere, I am more equipped than ever to handle when he comes to try to rob my foundation to stand and to speak on a certain issue. So the problem is he may come and try to give you sickness, but the problem is we've been, if we've been studying sickness, let's give it as an example, if we've been studying sickness, I have more ammunition than ever to defeat him when sickness comes my way. See how foolish he is? He's tricky, but he's foolish. Don't ever build up the devil and make him some big bad person. He's no co-equal with God. Uh, God is a giant and he is an ant. Okay, let's put it in perspective today. Spiritually, that's exactly what he is. He's an ant and the scum of all living beings. Okay, let's move on here. Enough about him. Um, So stand, we're in a culture called stand. How do we stand in a culture that says you must bow to our way of doing things? We've been looking at the book of Daniel. We've been talking about some heroes, some popular stories in 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 the Bible. The first one was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about these three boys who 
didn't bow down to an idol, a wicked idol that was raised up, and so they got thrown into the fiery furnace. God saves them. Uh, we talked about Daniel in the lion's den. Once again, he goes and he prays to God, the, the, the one true God, and what happens? Because he prayed to the one true God, he gets thrown into the den of lions. However, God saves him from the den of lions. All of this stuff really happened, not just some fairy tale stories, but this happened to real people. But here's what's interesting. Let's look at these stories for a second. Let's read between the lines, and let's look at what happened after the stories. Here's what happens. At at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3.30, it says this. Then the king, who tried to kill them, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They were promoted. After they were attacked, after they they were tried to be put to death, they were promoted by the very person that tried to kill them. Let's look at Daniel. Daniel says, his story says this, Daniel 6.28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of, uh, of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Promoted and they prospered. I don't know about you, but if someone tries to kill me, it's going to be very difficult for me to still serve that person and to love that person and to submit myself to that person if they were over me as a king, right? If someone tries to kill me, let's be transparent in church. I'm going to have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and I'm going to say, you better hope I don't get a chance (laughs) to return the favor. Anybody else real in here today, right? Can we be honest for a second? If that happened in today's world, how would you feel? Oh, I'll just forget that you tried to kill me two days ago, and yeah, let's be best friends in office together or work together every day for many years to go. That's going to be tough to do for many people, if not all people, right? Let me just overlook Uh, that you literally threw me into a fire or a den of lions. Let me overlook this. That's going to be tough to overlook. But here's what we see. These men knew how to forgive, how to not be angry, and how to not let bitterness consume the rest of their lives. If anyone had an excuse, these guys, bitterness, that's what we're talking about today. How do we uproot bitterness? You don't just wake up someday with bitterness. You don't wake up someday and, hey, I got, I got a bunch of, man, I got a bunch of bitterness I got to deal with. I got, that, I got that root of bitterness I need to deal with. That's not what happens, right? I mean, I'm angry at that person. For some reason, I just woke up with it. I don't know what happened. You don't just wake up with it. There's, there's a process to bitterness taking root in our heart, and that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we live free from bitterness? Because it's a, it is a serious serious matter. And here's the thing. Bitterness will keep you from promotion and prosperity and life abundantly. It will keep you from promotion, prosperity, and life abundantly. You don't just wake up with it. There's warning signs in place that happen before I wake up and say, man, I have something in me that is not producing good fruit. I have something in me that is keeping me from God's best for me. And it's bitterness that tries to creep in. So here's how we're going to look at it. It is a, the Bible calls it a root of bitterness for a reason. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives this parable, and it's the parable of the sower. And he's talking about spiritually, our heart is the soil of our lives. Our heart is the soil of our lives. Depending on the condition of our heart, the innermost part of us, our, our spiritual heart, depending on the condition of our heart, will determine, in this parable he says, it will determine if God's word, which is good seed, if it can go, be planted and produce this in your life. He said it's determined on the condition of your heart. This is a a spiritual truth, though, that the devil knows as well. He knows that our heart is the soil of our lives. And so he's going to come along and try to sow things into our lives or throw things into our lives, and if we will receive it, 
Let it linger or plant it in our hearts that it will develop into something greater. So here's what the enemy does. He always takes something that is meant for good and he twists it, uses it the same way that God would, but to get a different result. Spiritually, God says, soften your heart so you can receive God's word so that it can produce much fruit. And the enemy says, yeah, soften your heart, get it, get it vulnerable to me, and I'll sow some things, and it will produce my fruit instead of God's fruit. Here's the thing. How do we determine then what kind of seed is being planted in our heart? How do we determine, determine what is growing in our life? Well, there's a couple different things. The thing you need to know is this, the number one way, even in the natural, the number one way to have a good garden, I got this, this information from my mom who is a master gardener, she has a lot of info on this, the number one way to have a good garden and less weeds is to prepare the soil first. I got to prepare my heart first. Is my heart good soil? Weeds, the, the seeds of weeds, okay, hear me, germinate in the worst kind of soil. They germinate the most in soil that has not been prepared. So many times, I've done this in the past, I'm just like, oh, we move into a new house, and I don't pay attention to the, the soil. I just pull out the old plants or pull out the old flowers, and I plant some in its place. Well, meanwhile, I didn't realize that there was clay and nastiness and all kinds of stuff in the soil, and I'm wondering why my flowers are doing awful. My landscaping is doing awful. Well, I didn't do my part. <laughs> I'm just trying to plant something good in something that is not prepped and ready for the good. It's not prepped and ready. So what we focus on determines what seed we're planting in our heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What I am focused on will determine what seed is planting in my heart. So here's what we're going to talk about. If we're going to get to the root of bitterness, we're going to talk about three steps to the root of bitterness. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick here. Three steps or three phases to the root of bitterness. The first one is this. It's the seed of offense. Culture, we live in an, in an offended culture, Right? everyone's offended. <laughs> everyone's offended at something. Everyone's quickly offended at something. Everyone wants to be offended at something. They want to take their stand and say, well, you offended me by saying this. And there's all this division in our world. And the first thing that the enemy wants to do is give you a seed of offense. Here's the truth. Being offended is inevitable. You're going to be offended. Somebody is going to wrong you. We live in a fallen world with a bunch of uh, People, <laughs> with a bunch of people, um, dumb people, that's a nice way to say it, a bunch of dumb people, okay, that, um, that are going to do something wrong. And they're going to do something wrong. They're going to do, they're going to do something to you, not do something to you. They're going to say something, not say something when they should have. Well, I gave them this and they didn't write me a thank you card and so they offended me and I'm mad at them and I'll cut them out of my life over a thank you card. That's where it begins, a seed, something so petty and so small. The seed of offense is small, but it has a great uh, potential. Offended is simply this. It's resentful or being, even simply being annoyed. You're going to be offended, but living offended is a choice. Being offended is inevitable. Somebody's going to wrong you, but living offended is the choice. If you're always looking to be offended, you will always find what you're looking for. If you're always looking to be offended, you will always find what you're looking for. Let me take it a step further. If you're always looking to be mad, you will always be mad. If you're always looking to be hurt, you will always be hurt. If you're always looking for drama, you will always have drama. It's your perspective. What am I actually looking for in today? What am I looking for in this relationship? What am I looking for when I go to work? What is my true perspective when it comes to offense? I used to work at Chick-fil-A years ago. 
And I worked in a leadership position at Chick-fil-A. Um, great experience. However, I had this one manager who always, every day, he had an issue or drama with a customer or with a coworker. Every shift. And I, I got to the point where I just said, how is that, how is it possible? How is it possible? Like, how is it, there's always the, the one grumpy, you know, uh, customer. How do they find you? Really? Like, you think I haven't been called names before? You think I don't have had things thrown at me before through the drive through window? You think I haven't had some of that stuff done? But how are they finding you and making, blowing it up into this big thing, right, where we got to get somebody else involved? How, how, how is it that that coworker in the back, like, how do you always have issues with the kitchen and the people back there? Like, why, how? I don't have any issues with them. I've been here longer than you have. How? Here's what happens. <sighs> <laughs> Let me say this first. I worked with a lot of people. I don't, I, I've worked with a lot of people that I don't that I haven't liked. You ever worked with people that you just, I man, we we just don't get along, right? I've worked with a lot of people that's just like, oh man, I gotta I gotta stand next to you for eight hours today. I gotta work next to you for eight hours today. And it's Jesus, help me. Come on, somebody, help me, help me get through today. You been there? But I have two choices. Either I will give them control of my day or I'll say, you're not the Lord of my life so you don't get control of my day. And that's the difference. When someone else offends me and I choose to stay offended, I've just made them the Lord of my life for today or however long I want to be offended at them. The Lord of my life. When I choose to stay offended, I've just made a person the Lord of my life for today or moving forward however long I want them to be the Lord of my life. What does Lord mean? Master, Having power and authority. You have power over my mood. You have power over my work ethic. You have power over me that makes me not operate how God wants me to operate. But who gave you that power? I did. People are dumb and they're going to disappoint you. (laughs) But if I choose to stay offended, I've said, you can be the Lord of my life today. I'll be mad because of what you did for the rest of my day. My focus is all wrong. I've just received the seed of offense at that point. Our time is too precious. Our calling is too great to allow offensive people to steal our focus from us. Can I say that again? As believers, our time is too precious and our calling is too great to allow offensive people that are everywhere to steal our focus from us. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is just, he's talking with uh, Peter and with John and Jesus has just reinstated Peter or reconfirmed Peter after Peter has denied him three times. Jesus comes back and he says, I need you to tell me that you love me. Here's what you're gonna do. Three times he, he gets him back into agreement in their relationship is solid. And as Jesus is restoring Peter, after Peter's denied him, Jesus is talking about the future. And he's talking about Peter's future. And he's talking about some of the other disciples' future. And here's, what, here's how Peter responds in John 21, 21. It says this, Peter, after seeing John, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? I know you just told me what I'm going to be doing, but what about this man over here? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. This is the answer to to being unoffendable, to not living offended. This is the answer. Too many times, this is what Jesus is saying, that ain't your business. It ain't your business what I do with him. It's not about you. Get your eyes off of them. Get your eyes back on me and follow me. 
And that's the key. The, 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 the seed of offense is insecurity because of our focus is on the wrong person. The seed of offense is insecurity because my focus is on the wrong person. I'm looking at people to be the Lord of my life. I'm giving people the control of my life rather than saying, you know what? You may hurt me. And even Jesus said, you may not like me. Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. You may not like me, but I'm not going to live offended because of what a human has done to me. What can mere man do to me? That's what scripture says. Keeping close relationship with Jesus solidifies our identity. It refocuses our perspective, and it gives us the ability to walk in freedom from offense. I've got to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And so when I go into, like for me, when I go into work at Chick-fil-A and I get partnered with somebody that's just going to drive me insane for eight hours, I have a choice to make right now. Will they have my focus today or will Jesus have my focus today? Who will get it? Who I give my focus to and who I allow to have control and authority and power over me today is the Lord of my life today. doesn't mean I've denounced my faith if I'm offended. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying who do you give today to? Who do you give today to? If your identity is not in Christ, then you will live your life in constant offense. If you don't know that this is the only thing that shows you who you really are, then you will live your life in constant offense. So here's what happened. Here's the seed of offense. It may be something so petty. Somebody cut me off in traffic. Somebody, a customer called me this name. A customer threw this at me through the drive through window. Somebody threw a, one time we had a customer throw a salad across the dining room in the Chick-fil-A. Okay, salad goes everywhere. Just people yelling and screaming. How do you recover from that, right? As the manager, as the lead, the, the shift leader, I have everyone looking at you now. What do you do? They're not, they're not our focus today. We're going to get them out of here, we're going to get back on track, and we're, not, we're going to recover or not be mad or grumpy or offended for the rest of the day. No, let's get back on track, let's serve some people, right? That's what we got to do. I get my, my focus back on Jesus. The second thing that happens is this, the seed of offense, then, look at this, the germination of anger. Taking you back to school here, okay? We're talking about some plants today, come on now. The germination of anger, I had to talk to my mom about this verbiage as well to make sure this actually made sense um, the germination simply means this. When a seed turns into a young plant or a seedling, this is the seed beginning to cling to the soil and beginning to make its home in that, in that particular place. That's what it's happening. The seed is at a point where it's saying, hey, I'm starting to put down some roots. I'm going to start clinging to the soil around me, and I'm starting to grow a little bit. This is now my home. When the seed of offense is allowed to linger, it will germinate into anger. So the, the, God's word has a lot to say about anger. Let's look at a few here really quick. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. You know what anger is? It's the lap dog of a fool. <laughs> so many people walk around quick to be anger, and spiritually they're, they're walking around holding a little puppy dog of anger. Keeping it with me. It's just part of who I am. It's the, it's the lapdog of fools. Quick to be in anger. Let's continue. Colossians 3.8. But now you must get rid, also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 4.31 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And here's the key. Here's the key verse I want to look at today. James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let's talk about this for a second. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Jesus was the best example at this, okay? He was the best example. I saw these stats the other day, and this is phenomenal. Jesus, in, in, in Scripture that we know of, Jesus was asked, he was asked 183 questions that are recorded. Obviously, he was asked way more than that. 183 questions. He directly answered three He was asked 183, he answered three directly that we know of. He himself asked to others 307 questions. Isn't that fascinating? (laughs) Isn't it amazing that Jesus, he just shows us, if we'll get some perspective, he shows us that he really is this book. This is Jesus on paper. This is a totally different passage that talks about being being slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, right? And Jesus, he says, I lived that out. Even if there's not a verse that says these stats, we can look it up and we can see these stats and see he was slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. What I've realized in leadership and in life is this. This is huge. I have have a chance to practice this weekly, multiple times a week. Hear this. Here's the principle. Quick responses in our life is always a flesh response. The quick response to someone wronging me, accusing me, coming after me, the quick response is always the flesh response. Our slow response is the spiritual response. Too many times we let our flesh be the reaction. Well, that person said that to me, that person looked at me that way, that, that whatever, okay? And we come back with, ah, I'll show you. But that's my flesh. That's an outburst of anger. My slow response is, hang on. My focus ain't on you. You may be an idiot, but my focus ain't on you. Let me get my focus back on the right thing. Let me respond in a way that honors God and brings glory to his name. That brings glory to his name. Quick response is flesh. Slow response is spiritual response. Okay? Here's the issue with anger. When we are quick to anger, our anger evolves. When we are quick to anger, our anger evolves. Hear this. When our anger evolves, it's a sign that anger is truly germinating in our life. It's getting a hold of my heart. And here's what I mean by evolves. We start off and we're angry at a certain issue, right? I'm angry at that sin. I'm angry at that political party. I'm angry at that person that wronged me. I'm angry at that thing that happened to me. But when anger evolves, here's what happens. I get angry at others who aren't angry at the same thing. Let me say it again. When anger evolves, it's me getting angry at other people who aren't angry at the same thing. So I got great friends, and I'll attack them and say, how come you should be, why aren't you just as mad as me? You should be just as mad as me and angry, upset about this, about them. And now I'm mad at you because you're not as mad as me about being mad at them. What are we doing? See how confusing this gets? It evolves. It's taking over, and it's starting to what? It's starting to cling to my identity, which is in my heart. It's germinating into my life is what it is. Well, you should be just as mad as me about that thing that we're supposed to be mad at. What's wrong with you? You my friend or not? What's going on, right? Some people like being angry. They don't like what angers them. Don't hear me. They don't like what angers them. But they like the attitude of being angry. Here's why. Being angry, especially in the Christian world, being angry makes us feel like we are morally superior. 
Hear me in this. Being angry makes us feel like we're morally superior. Superior. I'm right and you're wrong. And this usually happens in groups of people. We get together, my, my gym buddies or my, my coworkers or the person I'm on the job site with, whatever, my friends, my small group, right? we get together and we're mad at other people because we're right and they're wrong, right? They're sinful and we're righteous and we're, they're dumb and we're smart, right? <laughs> they're evil and we're good. But here's the question. How effective is your anger? How effective is your anger? Like, is your anger making you more like Jesus? Is your anger making others more like Jesus? Is your anger pointing other people to Jesus? Well, here's the, and so here's what happens, right? You've been in church for a while. Well, I'm righteously angry. I love that. Let's talk about that for a second. Ephesians 4, 26 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Look, just like offense, you're going to be angry. Slow to anger is what it says. You're going to be angry, but what does he say? Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place or a foothold to the devil. Here's what happens with anger. Anger, if I allow it to germinate, all it is is a chance for the devil to truly, it's germinating. What's it doing? It's clinging to the soil. It's just a way for the enemy to just get his foot in the front door. It doesn't mean I'm living, a, I'm an awful person. I'm living a life of sin here and there and there and there and all over the place. I'm going to hell. It doesn't mean that. It just means I've seriously given an in, insight track to the enemy. He's got his foot in the door. It's a foothold. So here's what happens, right? James, what did it say? It said, our human anger, human anger, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Our human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Well, we say, well, I have righteous anger, but here's what happens with righteous anger. Here's the pit we fall into. Hear this. Most of the time, our righteous anger with sin is with someone else's sin. Whoops, (laughs) right? Most of the time, my righteous anger, well, I'm righteously angry at that sin. Well, yeah, because it's not your sin. Guilty, come on. I'm upset about it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bash them on Facebook, the whole group of them, whatever it is, right? It ain't your sin. It's easy to judge their sin and ignore my spiritual pride. It's easy to judge their sexual sin and ignore my gluttony. It's easy to judge their marriage problems and ignore my gossip problem. Let's get the plank out of our own eye. Before we, before we get righteously angry at others, right? Righteous anger, Jesus had it. But here's the difference. When we get angry, here's how we know if it's righteous or not. What's your motive? When you get angry, do you want to make a point or do you want to make an impact? Human anger is I'm angry righteously because I want to make a point and show you that I'm right. Do you want to make an impact? Righteous anger says, I'm angry at this in a way that I am going to make an impact for the kingdom moving forward. Do I want to make a point? I'm right. Or do I want to make an impact? God's right. If I want to make a point, it's human anger that brings me glory. I'm righteous and you're not. You'll get there someday. Righteous anger truly brings glory to God. Why? Because it makes an impact in his kingdom. It actually sets people free from the sin that you're righteously angry at rather than just telling them that they're going to hell because they're sinning. (laughs) It makes an impact for the kingdom and it saves lives. It saves spiritual lives. If you want to make an impact, our flesh and our emotions can't direct our action. The spirit of God must direct our action. 
My flesh and my quick response emotions cannot make my decision. And here's, here's where we fall into the pit. Well, I guess another pit. I've used that example a few times. As followers of believers, we cannot let our opinions overrule my calling to share the love of Jesus. And it's tough. Because I got some opinions that I think are right. But maybe they ain't. I don't know. I got some opinions that I think are right. But I can't let my opinions, even if they're right, hear me, overrule my calling to share the love of Jesus. Am I righteously angry at someone else's sin or am I truly wanting to make an impact with my righteous anger? What Jesus did when he was righteously angry, he did some pretty big stuff, right? He flipped some tables, he, he made a whip and whipped some people out of the table, right? But in all of it, who, who got the glory? Jesus? No. God got the glory because he was revealing the heart of the Father, saying, my, my, God's, my, my Father's house is not for this. It's not for profit, and it's not for twisted gain. He said, my house is for everyone. Whether they have it or whether they don't, they belong here, and they're welcome here, and they have access to the Father. Who got the glory? Not Jesus. He was saying, stop this. Let me do something about it so God can get glory, so more people can get to my heavenly Father. Do you see the difference? He didn't just make a whip because, he, man, he's had enough of their... Those Pharisees' questions, I'm going I'm to show them something. No, he didn't do that. He chased them out to, make, to give God glory. This is, this is, they falsely represented our Heavenly Father. Let me rightly represent my Heavenly Father so you can see you have access to him. You have access to him. The seed of offense, the germination of anger, and then finally the root of bitterness. If I don't address the first two, the offense, living offended every day, finding something to be offended at every day. If I don't address the anger, am I quick to anger? Am I quick to, to be mad at the little things or the big things? Or am I mad at other people's sin? If I don't address the anger and the offense, it will root itself in my life as bitterness. And this, this is the point I need everyone to hear. Because bitterness is such a sneaky thing. Sometimes it's so rooted that we don't even know. We don't even know. You ever had a plant in your, in your garden or maybe in your, in your flower bed and you went to dig it out and it looked like it had been cut off and so you went to dig it up? I had this, this crepe myrtle. It had been cut off in my backyard and I knew it was big. It used to be big because it was cut off. I don't know how big it was. But man, I went to dig that thing out and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> I, I dug on it all afternoon in the heat and almost gave myself heat exhaustion, heat stroke out there. I worked on that thing and I worked on that thing. I didn't realize how deeply rooted it was until I started digging. Are you willing to dig a little bit to see if I got some of this in there? You'll never know until you ask God. He said, my word's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts deep. It separates bone and marrow. It cuts deep in there to reveal and to show. That's what this does. It digs deep and it says, let's see. And then let's get it out. Here's where we see this. In Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, it says, pursue peace with all people and, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Wow. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Sorry. blew right past that verse in my uh, in my preparation and that's that's it pursue peace with all people 
when people look at me that are far from God, do they see me as a peaceful person? And do they see my life as holy? Not because I'm so great, but he said I could be holy as he is holy. Sorry. My heart in preparing messages is that I would be slow enough to hear his voice in preparation. I'm not so committed to an outline that um, when God shows me something mid-message that I don't stop and say, let's look at this for a second. So sorry if I'm emotional. It's, uh, <laughs> it means everything to me to get this right because it's not my word, it's his word. <sighs> Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, let's pick up there. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, by this many become defiled. Root of bitterness. In the Hebrew culture, any poisonous plant was called a bitter plant. So it's not just, bitterness is not just a, that tastes bad. Bitterness is that will kill you in the original context of what we're talking about here. That's the original meaning for us. Bitterness, a root of bitterness is a poisonous plant. You would never eat a poisonous plant in the natural, but a lot of us are eating the fruit of it in the spiritual. Here's what's amazing. This is in the New Covenant, New Testament, right? We also see it in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Let's go to Deuteronomy 29, 18. It says this. This is God making covenant. He's renewing his covenant um, later on. Here's what he says. He says, I'm making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, woman, clan, or tribe, will turn away from the Lord your God to worship these gods of other nations. Look at this. I'm doing this so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. It's the same. (laughs) It's the same verbiage. He's saying, look, old covenant, new covenant, bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness will destroy you. A root of bitterness, let me let's hear this. A root of bitterness is an open door to all kinds of evil and wicked spirits in your life. A root of bitter, bitterness is an open door to all kinds of evil and wicked spirits in your life. It is literally poison, according to God's word. It's poison, meaning it's just a matter of time before it affects other areas. It's only, if I allow root of bitterness to take root, it's only a matter of time before it affects my emotional health, my mental health, my physical health. Did you hear that? It's poison. It's poison. And if I allow poison in my spirit, it will affect every area of me, my physical, mental, emotional, all of it. Bitterness. The root may be small and it may be slow in growth, but if it carries poison, it is malignant and it is a ticking time bomb. It must be dealt with. So here's a few practical signs of what does bitterness look like in my life? What is the root of bitterness? The first one is pretty obvious. It's unforgiveness. Have I said I've forgiven, but I have yet to forgive in my heart? It's easy to say I forgive you, but then to go home and to be tormented by what you said you forgave and to still hang on to it and say, no. They deserve what they're getting. They deserve to whatever. Forgiveness. Jesus said this in Mark eleven twenty five. He said, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. It's, it's, if you've been wronged in a deep way, if you've been hurt, abused, whatever, in, in a deep way, Forgiveness is no easy thing to say, oh, you just need to forgive and move on. It doesn't work like that. 
Forgiveness is a deep spiritual thing. And the only way that I can truly forgive is through the power of the Holy Spirit. In my own power, I don't want to forgive. In my own power, I want vengeance on, on them. Forgiveness comes when I can say, God, remind me of what you've forgiven me of. And through your spirit that dwells in me, help me forgive them of what they've done to me. How many times Jesus and the word of God has called his people, his own kids, adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Because we have constantly broken covenant with him. We've constantly let him down. How many times did he say don't and we said, yeah, we'll figure it out. We're going to try it anyway, God. We got it. How many times did we break his heart? How many times in the new covenant has he said, everything I have is yours. You have access to the kingdom. And we said, I want my inheritance and I'm going to go my own way. And we've become the prodigal son who goes and just spends it all. If I understand what God has forgiven me of, it helps give me the power to forgive someone else. Because it reminds me, God, without your mercy and without your grace, I would be dead. I would be dead. It's easy to cast judgment until, it's, until you are the one that needs the mercy. It's easy to cast judgment until you are the one that needs the mercy. Until you are the one that truly wants to repent and need to be forgiven. God's word cannot produce its fruit in your life if the root of bitterness is taking up all the space. I gotta get it out. The second way that's pretty practical when it comes to the root of bitterness is this. You hope the person or the place that wronged you fails. You hope the person or the place that wronged you fails. Sometimes you're going to hold on to some grudges of a past employer, a past boss, somebody that wronged you. Maybe it's a business that wronged you and you, you, you feel like you were wronged. Maybe you were wronged. And you hope that they fail. That could be a sign of, I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying that is a pretty practical sign. Speaking from experience. You hope the person fails. You hope they don't succeed. You're wishing ill on them. That's a sign that I got something in there that needs to be taken out, taken out. So let's, the final thing is this. How do we overcome offense, anger, and bitterness? And I'll go quick. How do we do this? The simplest way is this. We need to lower our expectation of people. That's step one. Lower your expectation of people and raise your expectation of God. People will let you down. Hopefully you know that. <laughs> Lower your expectation of people. Raise your expectation of God. People will let you down. Your best friend will let you down. Your spouse, your spouse will let you down. Your pastor will let you down. Why? Because we're human. Because we ain't Jesus. We're trying to live, love, and look like him, but we ain't Jesus, Okay? I'm going to do something. Somebody's going to do something. And it's going to show you really quick. This is why so many times we see these pastors who have a great following and then something happens, a moral failure or something, and they fall away. And, and then all of a sudden there's a huge group of people that say, well, I guess none of it was real. And they abandoned God. And God's never abandoned them. But what does it show us? It shows us our expectation was too high in people. It doesn't mean you don't have hope in people. I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm just saying our expectation was too high in people that are 
our faith was more so in people than it was in God. And if that person messes up, then God must have messed up and I'm out. So another way of saying it is this. We need to lower our faith in people and raise our faith in God. God won't fail you. People will. Let me show you. Psalm 118.8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Pretty simple. God won't fail you. How do I live free of offense? My trust is in God. How do I let, not let anger come at me? I trust in God. How do I uproot some bitterness in my life? I, I walk in forgiveness because I trust that God has forgiven me. Now I can forgive someone else. I can reject the seed of offense by keeping my eyes on Jesus and I don't allow a human to be the Lord of my life. I stop the germination of anger by being slow to speak, slow to anger. And I make an impact with my anger, not a point. I pluck the root of bitterness by forgiving. And I can only forgive when I remind myself of how much I've been forgiven. Let me say this about forgiveness. When you forgive someone, it does not mean they get access to you again. Let me say that again. When you forgive someone, that does not mean they get access to you again. You can forgive someone, and someone can, that you forgave can still go and live a life that is awful and continue to cheat people, steal from people, and be a great representative for the kingdom of darkness. They can still go and live that life. You can forgive them and not allow them to have access to you or your family, and nor should you. Here's the opposite, though. When I forgive someone and they repent which means they truly change their ways, not they say, I repent, when they change their action and the fruit of their life is changed, that's repentance. That's what we're called to do in Scripture. Repent of our ways and change. No longer walking in sin. I walk in righteousness, and that's the same it is for when we forgive people. If someone has wronged me, wronged my family, I can forgive them unless they repent and show over time, not just, well, they were good today, they can have access to my family again. Over time, they have repented. Then I will consider allowing access to me or my family. Can I give you some freedom in that? You can forgive people without allowing a wolf to come back into your life and rob you or hurt your family or your kids. That's not what God has for you. When Jesus says to forgive, it is in a way that honors his command to also take care of yourself so that you can be a witness and your family so that you can have health. Forgiveness does not mean access. <laughs> Forgiveness means I'm free to have good soil for God to use. But I gotta do some forgiving sometimes. Reflection questions, we'll end with this really quick. What do I battle most for you? What is it? Offense, anger, bitterness, maybe all three? Where are you at in the process? Step one, two, and three, where are you at? Are you easily offense, offended? Are you living offended? Do you have anger, outbursts of anger, and it's a consistent thing? Do you have some bitterness? Do you feel like that's deep in there, hoping someone else fails? Good news is this. God's the best gardener. <laughs> God's the best gardener for your soil, for the soil of your heart. What do I need to, need to take? Uh, what step, sorry. What step do I need to take to stop bitterness from taking root in my life? Do I need to forgive? Do I need to get my focus off of people? Do I need to uh, be slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak? Here's the action step. Start every day with a grateful heart. Thanksgiving is the compo compost to your soil of your heart. 
Thanksgiving. It helps keep my, my soil healthy. It helps block out certain things and diseases. Compost, my mom reminded me of this. Hopefully I get this right, mom. Correct me if I'm wrong. Compost is taking things that have been used, breaking them down to be used in a healthier way. Is that accurate? Here's what happens in our life. When I give thanks to God, God can take the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that someone caused me, no matter how deep it was, no matter how personal it was, no matter how awful it was, the situation, he can take all of it. And through his power, if I give thanksgiving, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for freedom in your word. With thanksgiving, he can take the hurt and he can break it down into the soil of your heart, not so it's always there, so it can be renewed and refreshed to bring glory to him. He didn't cause the pain, but he can use the pain. That's over and over in scripture. Start every day with a thankful heart. If I do, I keep my focus on him. I don't focus on other people. I'll see people so I can love them, but they ain't the Lord of my life. They're not the savior of my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for freedom today. Freedom today in Jesus' name. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second? If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I, I've dealt with this. I got some anger that I need to deal with. I have some offense that I need to deal with. I got some bitterness that I need to deal with. Right there at your seat, I'm just gonna say a prayer. I just want you to just, just repeat it after me or just say it with me. Just quietly to yourself. You can say your own prayer, but just while your head's bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you if, you, if this message spoke to you and you say, I got some anger, I have some offense, or I have some bitterness that needs to be dealt with, right there at your seat, just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Help me. Help my soil of my heart. Make it soft again. Make it fresh again. Make it healthy again. Father, help me uproot anger, uproot bitterness. Help me forgive as you have forgiven me. Even when I haven't deserved it, you're still willing. Forgive me so I can walk in freedom. Forgive me. Plant your seed in my heart, your word in my heart. Let it produce your fruit, not the fruit of this world, not the fruit of our culture, not the fruit of my enemy, but your fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.